Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we are in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk about the games my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Now, last week, we dug into the history of the golden age of Games Workshop with some pretty wild guests. Um, and if you haven't checked that episode out, please go back and check. But that was the past. Today, we're looking to the future. And uh, I, I'm really excited by Blaster Magazine. Um, it is, uh, or up until now, it has been an anthology publication that puts out expansion slash mini games from some of the best smaller slash uh, prolific game designers in modern gaming. But Blaster has slightly changed. And now it is going to be turning its focus on up and coming game designers. And joining me today is the man whose game is the next issue of Blaster, which is just hit the shelves. Joining me today is Alex Van Allen to talk about Dead by Lead. Alex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Brad. No worries, man. Now, it blows my mind. This is your second game. Your first, of course, being Nightfall. But Dead by Lead, your second game out of the gate. You're already in Blaster Magazine, and you've only been technically publishing games for a year and a half. Yeah, it's one of those things where, like, if you're passionate and work hard on something, I guess it just translates. Awesome. Awesome. Well, let's talk uh, just before we get into Blaster and the shift and everything else. Let's quickly say what Dead by Lead is. Now, Dead by Lead is a skirmish Old West uh, gunfighter game. Am I getting that right? Yeah, so 28 millimeter. Um, it's miniature agnostic, although we do have some beautiful sculpts that have been designed for us by uh, Skull Forge. Um, mm -hmm. But you can use whatever you want, and it's set in the American West. We've kind of created this fictional boomtown that's called Bloodstone, and this surrounding area, we've kind of developed a lore around it to kind of give a sandbox for people to play in, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And, um, but it's more based on, uh, history, um, and letting people write their own stories around this boomtown. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, we'll come back to that because we want to talk about a lot of things. First of all, Blaster Magazine. Now, as I said, Joe McCullough's been in there. Uh, Mike Hutchinson, uh, who's been on the show many times, uh, and quite a few other, you know, prolific Ash from Gorilla, um, Gorilla Games on YouTube. A lot of the prolific game designers of our time, Joe McGuire, have been in Blaster in the past, but it has now pivoted and you are part of the new generation of Blaster contributors, right? Yeah, so it was an anthology magazine, as you mentioned, up until now, with a lot of those heavy hitter kind of guys in the in the industry, a lot of really fun names there. And it switched gears a little bit. So Greg Horton, the former editor for the Blaster Anthologies, has now taken it 
as his own publication under his new publishing studio, which is called Electi Studio. And he's kind of front running this thing by himself. And he's pivoted the angle of what Blaster represents a little bit. He wants it to be more of a indie showcase for up and coming authors, which is how I got slotted in there. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, and Electi, of course, are publishers of Hobgoblin, Mike Hutchinson's new game. Yeah, Hobgoblin. That's that's the one everyone is very excited about. So um, because of the relationship Greg built with those guys during the first four issues of Blaster, um, he just he has a really great rapport and a lot of connections with the industry, has maintained a, a good friendship with Mike. And when he got going with Lecti Studio here, um, they, they made something happen for Hobgoblin, which is Mike Hutchinson's new kind of rank and flank style game. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's got a really fun rule set behind it. We've been looking over some of the playtesting rules and talking about them on discord and it's looking really interesting and it had a wild Kickstarter. I think it, it did yeah. like, yeah, it did like some ridiculous number, like $85,000 or something. I mean, just unbelievable for kind of the, the first Kickstarter from this, this new studio. Um, yeah. So really excited for Mike uh, to, to get this new game going. It's going to be awesome. That's right. And I got my um, backing. Uh, I don't want to say a, a beta, but it's not the full finished version of the game, but people who backed the Kickstarter recently got access to a PDF so they can start playing. It doesn't have the full hobgoblin lore and everything else it's just basic rules just so you can play some games and it looks really good again i haven't had time to get it on the table but damn mike makes a good game yeah i think it's one of those things where people clearly were itching for it so badly <laughs> that greg felt compelled mm -hmm. to put out like some format of like you said like beta beta rules you know it was like oh we better give them something because people were just so excited the hype train didn't stop and um yeah the game looks incredible so i'm very excited for it as well yeah right on well obviously you have been gaming yourself for quite a while um before you even wrote nightfall your first game um, what got you into gaming in the first place? Oh man. Uh, well, as a young kid, my brother had, uh, I can remember seeing like the battlefield Gothic starter box, uh, in my brother's bedroom. And, um, so this would have been like in the nineties and, mm -hmm. and being like, you know, what, what is that, that thing? Um, and then I started forcing my mom to take me to the local hobby shop and, um, I always tell this story because I I'm an avid Mordheim player, um, the the game that has transcended time, and uh, I always tell this story because it's hilarious. Like I walked into the hobby shop and I can vividly remember seeing the Mordheim starter box like on the top shelf, and being so confused by what was going on in that that box art <laughs> that mm -hmm. I, that I like really had like a scratch my head sort of moment. And then I think I like silently ushered over and bought a, a box of like fifth edition dwarves, like dwarf warriors. Um, so I've, I've been gaming in some capacity since I was like nine or 10. Um, I, at first it was more like buying miniatures that I thought were cool and, and coming up with my own rules, which is probably how I got set down this path ultimately. Um, and then as I got a little older, um, like I got the, the first edition of uh, the Lord of the Rings um, 
battle game, which is now the Middle Earth strategy battle game. I played a lot of that. And uh, yeah, I've just been tabletopping for, for a long time. A lot of D&D growing up. All those facets, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I can absolutely see, not to jump back, the uh, just remembering the Mordheim uh, box art. I mean, how many fish were on that cover? <laughs> it, it's kind of like a, a where's Waldo thing. You know, you gotta, you gotta look for the fish all throughout the book and the, the artwork. Mm -hmm. Um, but they're there. Yeah. It's, it's just a bizarre, bizarre box. I mean, I love it. I have, I actually have it sitting on my shelf now. Years mm -hmm. later, I was able to afford a, a copy. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I, as a child, I was a little freaked out by it. <laughs> yeah, well, with good reason. Yeah. But it's interesting, um, a lot of those GW specialist games, um, so I worked for GW Trade a million years ago in the U.S., and those games were always supposed to be sort of a distraction. And I've had someone ask me about this recently, so I thought I'd explain it on the show if you give me a sec, if that's all right, Alex. Of course. Go um, for it. So the main games, of course, were 40K and Warhammer Fantasy. And Games Workshop would alternate the release on those. every. So every two years, there would be a main game changeover. So it was roughly four-year turnarounds on additions. Sometimes it went longer. Sometimes, as in we've seen recently, it's been shorter. Uh, but with that, um, the off years needed something that people could buy. They wanted to have, you know, big Christmas releases or big summer releases. There was always a game a year that you could get. And the specialist games were in there to give someone something to play that was still Games Workshop, um, but was, you know, tangentially associated with something that they already loved, be it, you know, Gorkamorka or... Um, Necromunda were 40k adjacent, whereas, you know, Warmaster, Mordheim, that sort of thing was fantasy adjacent. And so that's how it worked. But it's really funny to see a lot of these secondary games are still loved and played, you know, religiously by communities. I went to the local, you know, my local big game club, uh, Axes and Ales recently, in fact, last week, and watched... Uh, a demo game of Warmaster, and um, <laughs> it was just like, uh, wow, um, you know, there were a half a dozen tables of Blood Bowl being played, and um, there was a game that looked like Necromunda, but wasn't Necromunda. Oh, no, there was a Necromunda table as well. And so it was just looking around going, what year is this? Um, so it it's funny, right? Man. Yeah, even even Gorka Morka has gotten a little bit of a revival lately. I've seen people playing it, and uh, I have some some buddies that have like been playing recently. Um, yeah, it's it's funny. Like those those games, I think there's something about them, and especially the specialist games back then. GW wasn't afraid to push the envelope a little bit in what they were mm -hmm. doing, and that little bit of extra character is what has made them age well. The the quirkiness of some of those games is what has made them fun. Like Gorka Morka has a rule and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to butcher it, but I think like the, the simple part of it is like if a model falls off a vehicle while you're doing the move for the vehicle, like the model actually falls off the vehicle. Yes. Which is such an amazing rule. Cause it's like, everybody's so careful with their miniatures, right? After you paint them up all that, but here this game has a mechanic that you're like, basically packing as many models as you can onto the, the vehicle. And then if they fall off, that's just part of the game. Yeah. I uh, mean, it, it, 
If that quirkiness, Rogue, that, that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> well, I mean, if you go back to Rogue Trader 40K, the original Battle Wagon said you could have as many orcs in it as you could fit on it. Okay, so, so that's where it, that rule came from then. I didn't even realize. No, well, but you, it, it, it's it, like, it's well, like pack them on. It yeah, reminds exactly. me, I don't know if you ever played that that game Barrels of Monkeys, where you yeah. like would hang hang as many monkeys as you could in a chain. It, it reminds me of that for some reason. I don't know why. My brain just goes to these weird kind of corners of, of board games and stuff. It's funny you mentioned that everyone is so careful with their models. Uh, I had a friend in the U.S. when I worked, uh, again, for GW, uh, one of my teammates, Matt Majidi, the nicest guy in the world. And if you're listening to this and you know Matt, uh, please tell him I say hi. Um, Matt, I think, took perverse pleasure in watching people squirm. Um, and that's my theory uh, because he was the nicest guy ever. But he had this orc army that the paint was basically, you know, he just, you know, what we call it slap chop now. It was right. like slap chop. <laughs> But he would show up to tables with his orcs in a fried chicken bucket and he would dump them on the table and put them out in units and then start playing. And you would just watch people like, I can't cope. What are you doing with these models? Um, and yeah. You know, I've gotten into this weird habit recently of referring to my miniatures as toy soldiers, which is like what they, you know, 40, yes. 40 years ago, miniatures were referred to as toy soldiers. And then they started being called miniatures and then models. Like they got more and more serious and I've gone back and I've like fully embraced the toy soldier name just so like full transparency. My, my girlfriend asked me what I'm up to and I'm like, I'm painting toy soldiers, <laughs> make it as nerdy and lame as possible. Lean into it, man. Yeah, exactly. It's who I am. That's right. Oh man. God, not to say in my age, but in my day, it was dangerous to like toy soldiers. And now <laughs> every third kid does it. Right. Well, let's speaking of the future, let's let's jump back from the past to the future then. Um, let's talk about, of course, why you're here, dead by lead. Now, you did say that this is a, a Western skirmish tabletop game that takes place in the fictional town of Bloodstone. And, you know, there, there are a few good Western games out there already. Um, and folks might be wondering, well, what makes this different? Well, you've got some really cool mechanics that I'm a real big fan of. Um, we will get into those. Uh, but where did you start with this game? Was it the idea of a Western or did you have a game mechanic sort of ticking around in the back of your head that led you down the path of a Western game? No. So I grew up watching Western films and like, I love so much about them. And every once in a while I get on this weird binge where I'll watch like several films of the same type of genre and like, just get into a mood. Like it'll be one week, it'll be sci-fi and I'll go back. I'll watch, you know, the original alien and I'll watch Blade Runner and I'll, you know, not to just watch Ridley Scott movies, but <laughs> I'll go down the chain and I'll watch classics is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, and then some time ago, I guess it was November of last year, I got on a binge of watching Westerns. And at some point, I know there's there's Western games out there and some of them are, are classics and really beloved. But I just come from this standpoint that I always want to make my own stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm going to write a very simple Western rule set and I'm going to give it out for free, which was the same thought process that I had when I started writing Nightfall. It was like, I'm going to create this game. I'm going to give it out for free. But what keeps happening to me is then I have people play test it, really love it and encourage me to push it further. And so after I had done some play testing just with buddies, it was really, we, we found ourselves, we kept going back to it. And then it got passed to Greg um, via some chat on Instagram. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was like signed up to be on Blaster. <laughs> That's awesome. That is so cool, man. Um, so what? So I have to ask, favorite Western? My favorite Western uh, currently or, or like of all time? Oh, you know. Because uh, it, it changes movie is i would have a safe answer but the true answer is it depends on the minute i wouldn't even say so i really 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 love the new true grit the coen brothers one Mm -hmm. with jeff bridges like absolutely love it i mean i love that film so much um once upon a time in the west i mean Mm -hmm. you know sergio leone like that's such a classic classic film and that really sets the tone for what we think of when we think of Westerns now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, those, those two are, are really high up there. I'm also a sucker for the young guns films, which I know, uh, you know, people have mixed feelings of, but I grew up watching oh, yeah. them. I grew up watching them and, uh, I, I love those films. Like I, you know, for, for whatever flaws they have, Emilio Estevez is so fun as Billy the kid. Yes. Yes, exactly. Right. And they're, you know, as you say, they're fun movies. You can really fun movies, really fun movies. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right cool. Um, well, this is a game that's played on a smaller scale board. Am I correct? Is it a two by two or a three by three? So it, it it's recommended that we play on a three by three, but okay. um, some of the scenarios call for slightly smaller uh, board sizes. So, and it actually says in the rules, like you can play on a smaller board or you can play on a bigger board. Just, you know, keep in mind, that's going to affect the mechanics mm-hmm. at on a bigger board. The long range weapons are going to be more deadly on a smaller board. Like all of a sudden the shotgun is a lot scarier, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's just very transparent about that in the rules, but we suggest the three by three. Right on. And one of the questions that I almost immediately get asked or I, so now I ask everyone um, when I'm having authors on to talk about games is how does the activation mechanic work? Because there's so many different ways, right? You could be pulling chits out of a bag. You could be pulling order dice. You could have like a strategy rating and that can set the order of which models activate when, or you can do the traditional you go, I go either your entire force or individually. Yours is the first I've ever seen that has an alternating activation system, but by Two models, not by one. Um, what led you to make that decision? Because I really like it. It's cool. Uh, you know, I think it's it's one of those things where like one is too slow. <laughs> and in, in a game where you're having a, a gang of cowboys, that's probably anywhere from four guys to upwards of 10 guys, like two just felt right. It just made sense to me. It was like, you're doing them in in these kind of duos back and forth, and it's ticking away at these small groups of 
gangs. It it two just made sense to me. I don't I don't know how to explain it. It was it was one was too little, two was just enough after I tried. Yeah, I love it. I love it because it as you say, it definitely has you can have people working in tandem, which is something you don't always get in individual activation games. Um because that is something that's nice when you're playing, you know, entire I'm going to you go I go systems where I play my entire force and then you play your entire force where you can move things together and just mentally sometimes it's nice to have everything moving up is one you know fell i don't know one fell swoop but one sort of mental this is my plan this is what i'm doing but with two you still get that okay the enemy can respond to what i'm doing but you also get a little bit more of that um continuity of thought so to speak yeah it's funny that you mentioned the like working in tandem because i find myself when i play having a model kind of run ahead and and get into good positioning while someone is standing in a good spot almost ready to give them cover fire Mm -hmm. so the 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 dual kind of activation that the tandem or the pairings or how whatever you want to call it it seems to work well from, from a strategic standpoint too. Like there, there's just like this thought process, like you, you can almost imagine the model saying to the other model, I'll cover you while the, while the one runs ahead. Right. Love it. Um, now you also have another really cool mechanic in there as far as the shooting mechanic. Now this is a D six and D 12. So six sided, 12 sided dice game. And it's it's easy when you have so few models on the tabletop to get really bogged down in detail. You know, it's like the old battle tech thing. You can end up playing, you know, four models on a side and you can be there all day. Uh, versus, you know, modern a lot of modern games where, you know, things are a lot more streamlined. Um, this feels really nice because when you go to shoot someone depending on what, whether or not they have cover, depending on the situations, you flip a couple of playing cards and that will give you the target number that you then need to roll over to hit with the gun. And of course there's modifiers depending on what's happening in the game, but it's almost like, you know, uh, someone's kind of peeking out from behind cover or is about to run out. You can almost see the narrative happening in your head as you're, as you're playing the game. Again, I haven't had a chance to play this, but I have pushed models around on a tabletop just to get a feel for the mechanics. And man, it it has a real cinematic feel like you're watching a Western movie. Yeah, the cards, it, it evolved. Honestly, it evolved in so many different phases. I knew that I wanted to include cards initially before I had the D6 implemented. This D6, for anyone who's, who's not familiar, I'll just briefly explain you roll the D12, which is referred to as the skill die. And that's basically to determine whether or not the shot is a success. And you're rolling against the target number, which is whatever is revealed from those cards when you flip them. The the D6 is what's called the hit die. And that determines like where you shoot them on their body. Mm-hmm. Um, oddly enough, the cards were originally used to determine where you shot them as well as the dice target. I had it so you flipped and depending on the face of the card, like in other words, the suit um, was a different body part. So there was four, it was legs, one for each arm, the torso and the head. But what I found was like a quarter chance to hit the head 
was like really deadly. Yeah. And I also found it was a pain in the butt because you had to separate the four um, different suits into basically four different decks. And it made you, you had to shuffle like every 30 seconds. So when I'm writing a game, I just, I look at it from all these different avenues. The card thing came to me initially. It was like late at night. And I was like, what if you could shoot in different body locations and the cards would tell you, I tried it that way. That didn't work. <laughs> uh, well, it didn't work. It, we played it that way for a long time, actually. It didn't work the way we wanted it to. And I was like, okay, so how can I correct this? And just little little tweaks at a time. I always tell people, like, if you're going to write something, you have to play test it to a nauseam. You have to play test it to the point that you almost hate your own game. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you get to that point, you're like on the brink of almost hating your game. If you then wait like a week or two, and then you and your buddies go back and you still want to play your game after that, then you're on to something. Yeah, and 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 that was that was what was happening with Dead by Lead was like I was making these changes, just correcting it, correcting it, correcting it, little changes, and things were broken. We'd fix them. Things were broken. I'd make this change, and then you know, two weeks later, I'd have my my buddy John, who's who's credited as one of the the lead play testers. He he'd call me up and he'd be like, "Hey, you want to play Dead by Lead?" And I was like, "That's a good sign." There we go. Yeah, right on. Um, I love that that happy accident of you put in the cards for a mechanic that you then later removed. But in doing so, you kept the cards for the cover mechanic and it, it became the to hit system and, and it became it better really fun and innovative. Yeah. Oh man. I keep tripping over that word recently. Innovative. Yeah. It, um, uh, yeah, it, it changed, it changed and it changed for the better. Like it, I, Again, like I, I wish that it was a more romantic story, but it was like I just I just tweaked it and tweaked it until it was right. Tried a couple different ways. And one night late in bed, I just I had this idea. I was like, what if you flipped on a certain amount of cards based on the cover they had? And it's just basic basic statistics, right? Mm -hmm. So so when a character has no cover, you flip one card. The chances of you getting a bad card is there, right? It's there's mm -hmm. a a one in one in 10, right? Cause the face value cards all count as 10. So you have a one in 10 chance. Um, then I was like, okay, well, if you flip two and you take the higher result, you just have a slightly better chance to get a better card. Mm -hmm. Three, if they have heavy cover, if they're in a window, now you have a really good chance of getting a good card. So it was just basic statistics. And I just tried it a couple different ways. And we, we found that it, it worked fantastic and I was really happy with it. And, uh, and so that's that's what went in the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now, speaking of Battletech, um, and I, I'm not saying you got the mechanic from there, but the rolling the die to see where you hit on the body felt very Battletech-y to me, having just played it recently. Um, but I have to say the way yours does it is way better because you each model has a grit value, if I'm getting that right. And that's their they're almost their hit points or their health. Yeah. And then, depending on where they get hit and what they get hit with, um, that grit declines. And once they've hit that level, they're just knocked out. But it, but they can also then spend luck points to try and save themselves depending on what's happening. So again, it's the game feels streamlined, but in a way that is also rich and cinematic and gives you you know, difficult choices to make as a player. How did that evolve? 
man, it's so funny. Like talking about the battle tech thing, right? I've never played the tabletop battle tech. Um, but my brother and I played so much of the old like mech warrior video games growing up. Mm -hmm. We had, we had the mech warrior, uh, action figures that shot the little missiles and stuff and oh, like yeah. i loved BattleTech growing up i think we even played the BattleTech card game at one point mm -hmm. um but i've never played the tabletop game and i've had a couple people they're like the hitboxes thing feels very mech mm -hmm. um it just it when i got rid of the the card mechanic where the suits represented different body parts i needed the the hit dice to like correspond with something i still wanted it to be like when you watch a western film someone gets shot in the leg, they're not out of it, right? They limp mm -hmm. on and like Westerns are gritty like that. They get shot in the arm, they wrap up the arm and they they keep going. And I wanted it to not just have a very simple hit point component to it where someone got shot with a gun and they were out. Cause it's like, well, yeah, but if they took a bullet to the leg, they're not necessarily out of action. That's not, that doesn't make any sense. We're talking about the Young Guns films again. Like how many times does Emilio Estevez get shot in those movies? Oh, he, he gets shot like a million times in those movies, yep. you know, and, and he keeps going. And like, that's, that's cool. Um, so I wanted there to be a, a balance between like, okay, it's got to be realistic you know, you need some sort of explanation for why they're taking multiple shots. Well, they're taking multiple shots because he got hit in the leg because he got hit in the arm. Um, but there still needed to be this, this thing. Okay. Well, they could maybe bleed out if they got shot enough times in the leg, they could maybe, they could maybe bleed out if, you know, pretty nasty, but if someone shot their entire arm off with a shotgun shot, you know, they're not surviving that. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, so, so that's where, you know, if they took enough wounds on just their arm, it could also take them out of action. And obviously a headshot's always going to be deadly. So I just wanted it to logically make sense and have this narrative component. Well, well also um, providing this sort of cinematic feel where, where you could get shot and the, the cowboy would kind of muscle on, would keep going. Exactly. Limp well, on. Well, let's talk narrative because you brought it up. You said the N word. So let's talk narrative missions are something we love to talk about this on this podcast. And this game has six of them. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about bloodstone as a town? How do the missions uh, play into how you play this game and maybe uh, start talking to us about how you can create your own narrative when creating your group. So, um, you know, the narrative aspect, it's funny. It's like, it's got six scenarios in that book and there was actually more and <laughs> we, we had to tone it back. We're like, Oh, you know, we, we got to save some room here. Cause you know, th there's only so much you can put in a, in a blaster magazine. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we were just writing scenarios and um, I wanted to tie them in as much as possible to this fictional booms, Boomtown that we created, Bloodstone, and wanted it to feel like there was a reason why you were doing what, what you were doing. One of the most aggravating things for me in tabletop games is when you're just kind of aimlessly pushing models around a table. Mm -hmm. it, that's that's when it really feels like toy soldiers. <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. Right. That's when there's no purpose, no direction. So having having some sort of motivation for why, why your gang is there, why they're doing what they're doing. That was important to me from the get-go. And we started working on this boom town. I was kind of ping-ponging it back and forth with Greg. 
And he really wanted there to be some sort of tie-in between the scenarios and specific locations in this map that we had made. And we wanted to leave it slightly ambiguous to the point where there was just enough room in the sandbox for people to play on their own or create their own stories. But again, that there was some sort of directional for why the things were unfolding in the way that they were. So we wrote the scenarios in a way that they, they read kind of like newspaper headlines, like old school, you know, 1800s newspaper headlines. Mm -hmm. And it gives a little blurb underneath about what's going on in that area and, and why that scenario is happening. Um, and, and we also tried writing them in a way where it would be reoccurring. So you would have a reason to play scenario twice. It, it wasn't just like, you know, this battle happened. It's like, no, there's this ongoing problem in this town outside of Bloodstone, and it's going to keep happening because that's the environment. Your 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 gang is going to come back to it multiple times, which gives you know replayability. Um, but as you say, you know, people can still go off and play in the sandbox to their heart's content. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it to me, it's just about leaving it ambiguous enough that people can create their own stories. I, as someone that does that, I love it, you know, and I want people to have that opportunity when they play my game is to write their own stories. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's speaking of their own stories, whose story are we telling? Can you tell us how you make a gang uh, and who is in your gang in this game? So yeah, when you create a gang, it, it's funny you can actually play the game with a single model. You can do the the man with no name, sort of, we were talking mm -hmm. about Sergio Leone. You can do kind of that Clint Eastwood Western character where you're just a lone gunman. You can literally play with a single model um, or you can have upwards of 12 models. The, uh, the game is designed so that way you hire gang members and spend money on equipment in dollars, you start with a hundred dollars and you kind of allocate that based on what kind of backgrounds you want your gunslingers to be drawn from each one of the, the different classes or professions or whatever you want to call them has a special unique ability. That's only for that profession. Um, and they have a, a starting statistical line that's, also unique specifically to that profession. And then from there, we have character upgrades and character flaws. The character upgrades can be purchased for extra money and they kind of just buff up that model. They're very mm -hmm. expensive. Um, but if, again, if you wanted to play a lone gunman, you could make this really souped up, really tough cookie. Um, and then there's the character flaws, which are kind of a cost benefit. They have a trade-off. Um, it's things like one of my favorite ones is um, poor hygiene, which is uh, which is like basically it reduces the cost of the model. It just makes and it's it's only a dollar or two, but sometimes you just need that extra mm -hmm. dollar or two. But it makes it so uh, models cannot like allied models cannot finish with an within an inch of that model. Like it's, it's that they stink too bad and they don't want to stand next to them. And it's, it's okay. really silly, but it's, it's things like that, that are fun. And it helps tell this story. Again, you're like creating this narrative with your characters. It's a cowboy that's been on the trail. He doesn't smell good. 
Mm-hmm. You no, know, 100%. Um, and if you are looking to individualize characters further, of course, the stuff that they have, the gear, the weapons, yep. that is another layer on top of that, right? Yeah, so you can load them out however you want to load them out. Um, you know, it's suggested that you play with a what you see is what you get kind of feel, meaning that if you're using a miniature that's holding two pistols, then maybe you should load them out with two pistols. But you don't have to do that. Um, yeah, there's lots of different weapons. You kind of equip them how you want to equip them. The weapons obviously offer versatility in terms of gameplay, uh, what they what they do, different damage, different range. Um, some of them have special abilities, like if you're using a single six-shooter, you can fan it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so so there's some some versatility there. And then there's also a progression system if you get into camp- campaign play. Um, basically, models level up in a, in a really simple way for completing scenarios that are awarded what's called notoriety and for killing enemy gang members that are awarded notoriety. And then you get to spend that notoriety on special level up skills. Yeah. That's awesome. So so there's like, there's like three or four different avenues in which you can customize your character. And it just, again, all adds to this, um, this feel that you're not just pushing a model around. It's like its own living, breathing thing. Yeah, that is so cool. And just for something that you are getting for the price of a magazine, this this has legs. This has it has has flavor. It has, you know, it, it has personality. It looks so much fun. Um, and I can't wait to put it on the tabletop. And for those um who, like me, don't have any painted Western miniatures at the moment, which is a little embarrassing. Um, I'm I, I am going to be playing with my Star Wars models uh, because. Hey, man, Tatooine uh, shootout. I'm all for really? that. There you go. Moss Eisley, right? That is exactly what I'm going to be doing. And uh, instead of Clint Eastwood, I might be having uh, Boba Fett. So Very cool. I love it. Yeah, that, uh, but I am absolutely going to be playing this game with those rules. So if you like me, have those. Or, you know, if you've been playing Stargrave and you have a bunch of those models, you know, floating around, don't feel like the Western genre is is locked you out because the narrative structure of Westerns are in so many different things that we know and love today in modern society, be it the Mandalorian TV show, um, even some of the Marvel content. There's just, you know, lots of opportunity to play this game on the tabletop. It's awesome. Alex, this is, I'm, I'm very excited about this game and I'm so glad. Um, I actually only found out about it when released, so I don't have to agonize. Um, but if you want to pick this up, of course, you can go to Electi Studios. Um, Blaster Magazine, if you just Google search Blaster, you'll find it. Um, if you want any of the issues of Blaster, including number five, which has Dead by Lead, you can go to Drive Through RPG. Am I getting that right? Yeah, Drive Through RPG or Wargame Vault, which is uh, another website that's owned by Drive Through RPG. Um, it's it's available there in both PDF and print on demand. Yes, that's right. Um, I got my PDF from Drive Through RPG, and it is very easy. Um, Alex, I, I think our time is uh, slowly coming to a close. Is there anything that we have missed today that you think that the uh, that folks would want to know if they're thinking about picking up this game? Well, you mentioned miniatures. Uh, we should give a little shout to Jordan, uh, our friend uh, Jordan, who designed six beautiful sculpts, Skull Forge miniatures. 
he designed six beautiful miniatures specifically for Dead by Lead, and those are available mm -hmm. over on his Patreon for this month. And uh, go check them out and support him. And uh, they're just incredible. I have them over on my painting table right now. I'm I'm slowly working through them, but they're they're just gorgeous models. Uh, so if you don't have any Western miniatures, that's a great place to start. It is. And man, if I mean, if you have not gone back to listen to the Cast Dice episode where I talked to Jordan from Skullforge, do that next. Put this <laughs> in this one finished. Download that one and listen to that because Jordan is one of the coolest, nicest guys in uh, the gaming world. And the man's talent is unbelievable. I have literally hundreds of skull forge models including one of my star wars legion armies is his min bin uh stormtrooper army that they paint up like a dream um they're easy to get printed and they're easy to just get on the tabletop and they look so good um and man i i have to say just a little part of me just a little part is you know i don't even write my own games but I'm a little jealous because if I ever did, I want Jordan to make the models for it. <laughs> that man is unbelievably talented. How did you get him on board? So it's really weird. Like I've seen Jordan's stuff for a long time on Instagram. I was actually familiar with his work from the Star Wars miniatures. Uh, his sculpts are just so beautiful. And it was Greg that got him involved. I was like actually on my way to a concert with my girlfriend and I got a text from Greg and he's like, Hey, uh, Skullforge is going to make us some miniatures, like really casually like that. Uh, so I'm the wrong person to ask for the full story, but just, just so you fully appreciate how excited I was, I like immediately stopped what I was doing and like pulled my girlfriend to the side and showed her like the quick renders and was like, mm -hmm. you have no idea. This guy's incredible. Like I, uh, you have no idea. Um, so <laughs> I was, I was as excited as you are, um, at, at yeah, hearing yeah. about, you know, the fact that Jordan got involved, um, how it all came together. I don't have the specifics, but I'm incredibly thankful because as you said, he's so talented and uh, the models that he did for dead by letter, just they're incredible. So no. I'm a lucky boy. What can I say? Exactly, man. You got all the toys first time out. Uh, yeah. or I say second time out, but man, I'm going to have to have Jordan back on the show, both to ask about that and just to see how he's going. Cause he's been putting out some incredible stuff of late. Um, I just got a bunch of his, um, Fremen, uh, for the Dune line and mm, they look good. Yeah. And but, also his work rate is incredible. I can't believe how, right? how many models this, this guy puts out. He's just, yeah. he is just a workhorse. And I like mean, to, to, to do that many at that quality, I think really mm -hmm. says something as well. That's it, because there's a lot of 3D printing studios out there that are groups of people. Right. And they put out less models than he does. And he's by himself. The man yep. is unbelievable. Ah, anyway, we can talk about Jordan all day. Right. Um, <laughs> Alex, uh, I do know you have to run. Thank you so much for coming on today, man. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk shop. And, you know, we wish you the very best with Dead by Lead. I mean, Blaster Magazine's such a, such a, awesome anthology even though it's only on issue five it's you know it's a big deal and i'm so glad that you uh your work has been uh acknowledged and honored in it so uh keep up the good work man i look forward to see what comes in the future i'm, I'm very excited to to be a part of it and uh it's been an absolute pleasure talking with you brad thanks for having me on anytime brother well 
As our buddy Casey always says at times like these, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night. Gone and attract my home.